0: Man, thanks for being here. We are so excited and If you are new today, I uh, just want you to know we 've been in this season of praying and fasting. We call it twenty one days of praying and fasting abide and that 's the whole goal of it is we are abiding in Christ, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And so we've set aside time at the beginning of the year. We've done this now for three years in a row, where we are literally just trying to, as much as we possibly can, sit at the feet of Jesus, focus on him, because we talked about this at the beginning point of the year, where we can get so busy being busy that we miss out on what God has for us. And so this season is, we're about praying and fasting. And fasting is kind of multifaceted. You can fast from meat, you can fast from food. And so a lot of us are doing a lot of different things. And so I know we're 14 days in now, but you're over the halfway point, all right? You're over the halfway point. And even if you're new, you can jump in with us and do seven days of this, because it's, it's about not just letting go of food or letting go of specific things, but it's about replacing that, with praying, with worship, with the word of God. And so that's what we've been doing for the last several days, uh, 14 days now, and kind of chunking it in three sections of seven days. The first seven we were praying about abiding in Christ. The last seven have been about pruning and God pruning us. And then this next week, the, the last seven is about Uh, God growing fruit in us. And we're gonna talk a lot about that today. And so just a couple things coming up this week that I want you to be aware of because highly, highly important and it's gonna really help us close out this season. But we got our Abide Worship Nights. It starts Wednesday night with students. Students are gonna kick it off. And then we have Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And it's gonna be just a time for us as a church, both locations, to come together and to do exactly what we're talking about, to abide in Christ. This year we don't have speakers coming in. Not that that's bad, I'm sure we'll do that again at some point, but this year we wanna just take time to set aside time to pray and to worship and to seek God, just to sit there and and commune with him as a body of Christ, and so we're gonna take time to do that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. So I wanna highly encourage you to come. If you can come to all nights, great. If you can't, at least try to come to one. Uh, Also, we've got programming for your kids, and so if you could, do us a huge favor and register your kids for that so that we can prepare and to know how many kids, prepare for each night, because we know that stuff fluctuates, and so I want you to look at your calendar this week. Go ahead and start marking it off, all right, because nothing in your life is going to happen unless you schedule it, all right, and we'll talk more about that even this week as well. So coming up this week, Abide Worship Nights, it's going to be great. Uh, just setting aside time. And then next weekend, we're gonna close the fast with uh, worship and also our baptism service, which if you wanna sign up for that, you totally can because we got baptisms next Sunday and then communion. So breaking our fast with everybody as communion. And then after that, everybody's gonna run out and go do what it was that they've been fasting from, all right? That's just how it works, but just be careful, all right? Just be careful. just wanna highly encourage you about that. Even look up how you come off of a fast. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter six. That's where we're going to hang out today. We're going to pick right up where we left off last week. And again, if you haven't been here for the last several weeks, highly encourage you to go online and read that or listen to that uh, and read the scriptures about what we've talked about. Because in this whole series uh, of this season that we've been talking about abiding and praying and fasting, we're really talking about how to prepare ourselves for that, How, how to Understand that there are spiritual things going on and that we are in a battle and how we fight matters. And so we're going to pick up from verse 14 where we left off last week and go to verse 22. All right. So pray with me and then we'll jump into the sermon. Father, thank you for loving us. Uh, As always, God, we want to stop and acknowledge before we get into the word uh, and recognize today, God, that I can't preach and we can't listen without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so would you help us, God? Would you give us Uh, not only uh, just the grace to be able to do that, God, but block out distractions. We pray against uh, any type of other distractions or evil forces that would try to take over in our minds and in our hearts and during this time together. God, we want to hear from you. We want to seek you. And we wanna do that together, God. So corporately, would you help us? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the key things to talk about, and before we get into the, the text about fourteen, um, verse 14, I want you to understand what we've been talking about over the last several weeks when we're talking about praying and fasting and worship, that these are spiritual disciplines. And when it comes to spiritual disciplines, it, what we have to understand is how they work and what God has commanded us to do. If you were here last week, we talked about uh, the, the command to be strong in the Lord, and we're not Macho Man. Anybody sing Macho Man all week, or at least last Sunday, if you were here? Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing to you today, all right? Uh, that was a one-time shot. And if you weren't here, you can go back and watch that. But, but the idea is God commands us to be strong, but, but we talked about how that's a passive voice, which means we, don't actually, we aren't actually the ones who make ourselves strong. God does that. But the active voice command in Ephesians 6 is put on the armor. So, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, or I would just say when it comes to walking with the Spirit, or it comes to, you might just call it, living the Christian life, you have to understand there are certain things that God has called us to do, but there are certain things that God does. And we can't get those confused because we do not grow ourselves. This is so important. Let me put it in another, you can't change your own character. That's not how it works. And and if you have ever tried that, you understand, right? It's like when you hear a sermon on the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and everybody's like, I'm going to go out and be patient. Does that ever work for you? No, because patience you don't get by direct effort. You don't get patience by going after patience. You get patience by going after the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit, and then He makes you patient. The way we say this around here is very simply this. We sow, God grows. We sow, God grows. This comes out of 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul was talking, he said, "'I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth.'" So when it comes to our life, here's the good news. God is not asking you To change yourself. God is not asking you to turn yourself into a better version of yourself. And if you don't do that, he's going to be mad at you. He's not asking you to do that. Here's the good news. He wants to do that for you. Well, we see this in the command of Jesus in Matthew chapter four, when he calls his first disciples. Matthew four, verse 19, when he calls Peter, he says, follow me. And I will make you. So let me ask you a question. In that statement, who does the making? Tell me. Jesus. Have you ever been to Sunday school? The answer is always Jesus, all right? So Jesus does the making. What was Peter supposed to do? Follow. There is the distinction. And what is following? You ever played the game of follow the leader? The leader Walks, you, you guys are so smart. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is simply following my maker and understanding that as I follow him, that's me sowing, I'm reorienting my life, my time, everything around him. And as I do that, he will make me. I'll sow it. He'll grow it. One of the people that really helped me with this early on in my life, and again, I I say this often, but I probably spent the first two decades of my life with Jesus completely misunderstanding this fact, and also constantly frustrated that I hadn't changed, that there were still like character deficiencies in me. And I was introduced to a guy by the name of Dallas Willard, and I, I tell you, I tell you books and stuff all the time. We need to start like a blog post or something, just so you can go back and look at the books. But, but any book by a guy named Dallas Willard, he's now gone to be with Jesus. He's written a lot of them, but he was one of the greatest theologians and philosophers of our time. He was a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California, and he was a great theologian and believer and follower of Jesus. And I want to share a quote with you from him that really illustrates, in fact, this quote will probably define just about every book that he's written. And it'll set us up for our sermon, and then we'll jump into Ephesians 6. Here it is. I have it on the screen. A discipline is an activity within our power, within our power, that enables us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. So let's break that down. There's something I can do, which is I can pray. I can fast. I can read my Bible. I can belong to a local church. I can be in community with others. I can do those things. And when I do those things, it enables God to do what I can't do, which is grow me. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? The best example I can give you is growing muscle or working out physically. If I asked any one of you in here to grow muscle, you can't grow it. Like I said, grow new bicep muscle. You can't grow it. You can flex it, and there may be some there that may not be much. I mean, there's at least some there, but it may be bigger, it may be smaller. But you can't grow muscle, but what can you do? You can submit yourself to a process of discipline called working out, which when you work out, it tears your muscle fibers, your body takes protein, builds it back, because your body's thinking, what the heck did you just do to me? I don't ever want you to do this again, so I'm gonna make the muscle stronger. Which is why in order to keep growing, you gotta keep confusing it and doing heavier stuff, right? You gotta keep doing more to, take, uh, to tear it so that it can grow. So that's the process. But you don't actually grow the muscle. You work out. Well, if that's how you grow physically, doesn't that make exact sense that it's the same God? That's how you would grow spiritually? That's how you would grow emotionally? You do what you can do to enable what you can't do. You with me? All right, let's jump in. Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. Here's where we're continuing what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Stand therefore. Now this word here, stand, is a command and it's active voice, which means you can do this. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, let's stop and chat here for a minute. I'll I'll kind of break these down in a way that it makes sense to me. And obviously, I can't do enough justice to get into each one of these pieces of armor and break it down, but he does use certain words for certain reasons, and I'm going to kind kind of hit that at a high level. First, what we need to understand is, and this is what we talked about last week, you have to put on armor. You need to understand that we are in a fight. And you have an enemy, and the enemy wants to take you out. I remember when I was growing up, I, I, I'm just the type of guy. I love people. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I, don't, I didn't like to get in fights. Some of y'all like to get in fights, and you're weird, right? And so I didn't like that. I was put into fights because normally I was the big guy. I'll never forget one of my friends in middle school. I'm like, what are we doing? We're going over to this dude's house. We show up, we got a fight. I'm like, why'd you bring me here? Because you're big. And so I don't like fights. But it was a revelation to me in middle school and high school that there was people who didn't like me. Have you ever ever realized that yet? If you haven't, welcome to life. There are people who don't like you. And I remember thinking, how could you not like this? What is there not to like? Right? I am, one year, one of my friends for Halloween, he put on, he, for his Halloween costume, he just put on a uh, note tag and it said, God's gift to women, <laughs> which was himself, right? And so, some, again, when we're immature, we just think we are God's gift to humanity. But then we understand, oh, there are things about me that make me a jerk or there are things about me that, that put me in circumstances where I make other people feel weird. Like, it was a shock to me. And so when I became a Christian and I started learning about spiritual things, like when you're sitting around telling ghost stories, you're like, you know, ghosts aren't real. But when you're a Christian sitting around a campfire talking about demons, you're like, well, they're real. Talking about evil forces, you're like, I can't comfort you to say that's not real because they're real. And they have one goal and that's to take you out. So it's kind of a jarring thing is what I'm talking about when you understand there are people who don't like you. And not only are there humans that don't like you, but there are supernatural beings that don't like you. In fact, they are against you because you're made in the image of God and you remind them of God and they rebelled against God and they're trying to destroy God even though they can't. And so the way they get to God is to get to you. Because that's how you attack people with kids, right? You can attack me, that's one thing. You attack my wife or my kids, it's home. I don't care who you are, right? That's my people. And, and so we have to wake up to the reality that we're in a fight. I love how John Piper says it. You better have a wartime mentality. You better get it through that thick skull that you have an enemy and he is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy you. So the first thing you have to understand is you're in a fight. And how crazy would it be to go out to a fight with no armor on? And so, what Paul's getting at here is listen, now we're fighting battles. We're fighting battles in the spiritual realm, right? With beings, with powers, with principalities that want to take us out. And yes, God is the God above all of them. And if we will put on what he says, we can't defeat them. So, I can put on, right? And then through that, I'm protected. By the spirit, by the grace of God. So let's break this down. What is the first one? He says the belt of truth. Now, again, not digging into these a, a whole lot, but here's one thing I would say. You better wrap yourself in truth. You better wrap yourself. The old version is gird up your loins, which that sounds weird to us today. We're like, what are loins? This is weird. But, but you have a belt to hold up your pants, Right. It's holding something up. Here's what I'm saying to you. You better have truth to hold you up because one of the enemy's tactics is to attack the truth of the word of God. In fact, that's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. When he showed up in the garden, what did he say to them? How did he tempt them? Did God really say that? Is that really, here's my favorite today. Is that really what it means? Guess what it means. So, I mean, as plain as you can take it, that's what it means. But what, is the, what does the devil do? What do these evil influences do? They're going to come in and attack truth. So you better make sure that you're girded up, you're wrapped in truth. But here's the reality. Sometimes truth hurts, Right? And you wanna know why the reason why most of us believe lies? Because we'd rather believe lies than face reality. And I'm just here to tell you, the longer you do that, the more trouble you're storing up for yourself. Because one day it's all gonna come crashing down. Because the only thing to wrap yourself in is truth. Next one, breastplate of righteousness. Now think about this. This is the part that covers your vital organs. The word righteousness just means right standing before God or just. Another way to think about it is holiness. See, the Bible commands us to guard our hearts. How do I guard my heart? Think about it like this. And I'm a pastor, so I like alliteration. You guard your heart with holiness. You guard your heart with holiness. One of the the thought processes of maturity is when you stop asking, is this a sin or not? See, when you're younger, and and I joke about this, and I'm not saying it's funny, but when I was younger in middle school and high school, it was like, am I gonna have sex before marriage or not? Am I gonna do drugs or not? Now, those questions to a sane person are really easy. Right? I mean, which is crazy, because in our culture today, we've made them very confusing, but it's like, that's a pretty easy answer. Yes. But now that I'm older, like I answered those questions a long time ago, and here's how I answered them. What does the Bible say? I'm going to go with what the Bible says, because the Bible has lasted longer than any culture that's ever existed. So I'm going to go with what it says. But now that I'm 41, the questions aren't, am I going to do crack or not? (laughs) Right? The questions are, am I going to watch this rating of a movie? Am I going to read this book? Am I going to let this thing influence me? Am I going to hang with these people? The the questions get more nuanced. And this is why it's so important. I'll never forget when Lindsay and I first got married. And, And this is why I always joke, but it's not funny. I'm being serious about it, and it's a compliment. But we're from East Texas, Lindsay and I both. And so I always joke that the Holy Spirit has an East Texas accent. Because the Holy Spirit will speak to me through my wife. And straight up, I'm grateful for it. And I'll never forget, like, the very first time that that she came home and I was home before her, she came home when I was playing my PS2. (laughs) Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Because a single guy was me and Madden all night long, right? (laughs) Getting my running back, you know, doing all this stuff. And and she came home and I was playing the PS2 and she's like, hey, I'm like, hey, went back to the game. And she lovingly came over and was like, "Um, no, we're going to turn that off. What, woman? Well, when I come home, I would like for you to stop what you're doing and come and talk with me and have a conversation. Oh, that's what we do? I didn't know that. So then the PS2, I I kid you not, went up into the attic. Because what's more important, connecting with my wife or connecting with Madden? You tell me. And so there were so many times in my life where now, is it, now hear me, is it a sin to play PS2? It's not PS2 anymore, right? No. But in that moment, it was enabling me to miss a moment of connecting with my wife. There'd be other times where we'd be watching shows and I just grew up in a different environment than my wife. She grew up in church. I grew up in bars for real. And like drag racing, I was bartending for my dad at a young age. It was just what we did. I didn't know any different. I'm not banging on my dad because my dad at that time wasn't following Jesus. Now he is by the grace of God. Doesn't drink anymore. Doesn't do any of that stuff. And so when we got married, I would watch shows with very colorful language and very suggestible stuff and, you know, rated R and all those things. And and in my mind, it was like, this is normal. And, And we'd be watching a show and Lindsay would be mortified. She's like, we are not watching this. I'm like, Oh, oh, we're not? Oh, I didn't know this was an issue. Well, here's what I'm getting at. Holiness protects my heart. Holiness protects my heart. So now it's not about whether this is a sin or not. It is about, is this holy? Is this holy? So I'm, I'm not just, listen to me. I'm not just letting go of sinful things. I'm going after holy things. I'm going after righteous things. And the more I do that, it protects my vital organs. We'll get more into in just a little bit why this is so important. But then he says this, third one, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. This one is huge, and I think we can just blow by it. But in the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about feet and how good the feet are or how blessed the feet are of those who bring the good news. And so the feet were all about mission, And here's what I'm saying to you. This is so important. One of the best tactics you have against the schemes of the devil is not just, and we'll get more into this in a minute, is not just about what you're not doing. It also is about what you are doing. And one of the best ways to say no to things that are not holy is you're saying yes to something that is greater. So this is waking up every day and understanding, I'm gonna put on shoes and I have a mission. I have a mission to go to. And this is where I tell people all the time, this isn't about like quitting your job and joining the church, because if we all did that, then there would be no Christians in the jobs. And you're like, well, I work at a dead end job, a deadbeat job, Well, why don't you go into that deadbeat job and be life? Go into that sinful environment and be light that dark place, and if you can wake up with a mission to say, I'm not just here to do what I'm paid to do from this company, I am here to do what my father has commanded me to do in this company. And if you wake up every day with a mission mindset, then it'll help you say no to other things because you have a greater yes. This is one of the things, and I've joked about this, even though it's not funny, but I believe this in my heart. This is exactly why God made me a pastor. God knew without me waking up every day with the mission of helping you grow, that I would ruin myself. He knew it. He knew that he had to take someone as jacked up as me and put me right in the thick of the mission. Because if he didn't, I'd be so tempted to say yes to everything. But now the, you want to know the thing that helps me sin less, it's not just my wife and my kids, it's you. It's you because I know you're going to see me, right? This is why people take the R sticker off their car. I want to speed. And nobody knows it's a revolution person. You don't want public accountability, Which is why I joke, like sometimes, especially when it's cold, I walk into a a store with a hoodie on and a hat. They're like, you trying to be incognito? No, it's just cold outside. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to live my life in a different community from the people I do community with. Why? Because then I would be taking myself out of one of the biggest blessings God has ever given me. You, you help me in my own spiritual growth. And God knew that if he didn't give me a mission like that, a sense of a calling and purpose of what he's called me to, then it would be very easy for me to say yes to stuff. But now it gets incredibly easier to say no to stuff because I don't want to mess up what God's doing in you. So when we're talking about shoes, we're talking about mission. All right, you with me? Now let's continue. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, let's stop and chat about that. It says in all circumstances. Did it say in some circumstances? No. What did it say? In what? All. All. you want to know what that means in the Greek? You guys are so smart. Yeah, it means all. Actually, here's what's really cool it means whole. You want to be whole or have integrity and be integrated, then in all circumstances, in the whole of your life, take up the arm, put on the armor. But in this particular example, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now, shield is the first one. Uh, Our first piece of armor here that's outside the body. It's not, I mean, it's touching the body, but it's not like a, you know, um, it's not a belt. It's not a breastplate. It's not shoes. It it, kind of, like you can take a a hit in the shield and it's not fatal, but you take a hit in the breastplate, it might kill you. And so this is another way of thinking that this is my first line of defense. And what is the shield? It's the shield of faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is what Hebrews says is believing in what I can't see. It's hoping in what's not here yet. Jesus talked about this when he talked to his disciples. He says, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who will come later who will believe and haven't seen. So here's how faith operates. Faith says, I believe it even though I can't see it. But so many of us operate out of the opposite. Like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And if you operate like that, then you got no shield. You have no outer protection because faith is your protection. It's like this when you're in a trial, why do you think he said in all circumstances? Because that means in bad circumstances, too. How's it gonna get you in bad circumstances? Romans 8. This light momentary affliction doesn't compare to the weight of the glory that's going to be revealed later in me. Why did Paul talk like that? Because he's telling himself, even though I can't see it right now, I believe it. Even though it's not present, it is present in the spiritual. Even though it's not here yet in the physical, God's working it out. So I'm going to stand in faith. But there's another element to this that honestly, i never thought about until I was studying this this week. But he says it's to extinguish, now listen, all the flaming darts of the evil one. To extinguish, put out, the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's talk about that. Again, we've been talking over the last several weeks that there are spiritual beings that are evil. That are trying to fight against God. Because God gave them dominion over the domains in the world. And then they rebelled. And then led those people to worship them instead of God. So there are evil forces. And again, this is what I was talking about. It's so jarring to understand. They're trying to take you out and how do they do it with flaming darts. Now, when you hear the word dart, don't think of what you would see in a pool. Like a little four inch dart, like no, this is more like a javelin. This is more like a huge spear. In fact, this is how armies of old used to fight. And one of the things that was crazy that as I was studying this this week is not only, we just think bow and arrows, right? And you've seen those movies where they dipped the tip of the spear in fire and then they shot it and like, I got it. No. As societies develop, they they develop, now listen to this, an even greater weapon, which was a long spear, iron, and then on the, Not the tip of it, but in the shaft of it, it would be wooden. And then they would wrap that with fur. Then they would put tar and and other things upon it to make it light and combust. And they would set that whole thing ablaze. Then they would launch the spear, and the spear would hit the shield. But the entire rest of the the projectile, literally this word here, dart, means missile, would be on fire. And it would start consuming everything that it touched. So if you had a wooden shield, it was only a matter of time before it was gonna put it out or consume it up. If you were in a wooden tower, it was only a matter of time before it was gonna set that whole thing ablaze. So here's what happens. And I didn't realize this until I was reading this. And one commentator said, Satan works indirectly. See, you thought that his attack was, was the, the dart. And you're like, I got it. But you didn't realize there was a second attack coming with it. That was the fire. And when that fire started consuming things, you put your shield down. In fact, you might even try to put it out. And you're just giving it more oxygen. And the moment that comes down, boom, you're susceptible. Let me read this commentator. I, I just had to quote it to you because it's so good. He said, temptation, listen to this, is thus represented as impelled from a dist- distance. Satan attacks by indirection. Listen, through good things from which no evil is suspected, there is a hint of its propagating power. The word propagating means to multiply or reproduce. One sin draws in another in its track, the flame of the fire tipped dart spreads. Temptation acts on susceptible material. Self-confidence is combustible. Faith in doing away with dependence on self takes away the fuel for the dart. It creates sensitivity to the holy influences by which the power of temptation is neutralized. It enlists the direct aid of God. What does that mean? See, when Satan hits you with the dart, there's another attack coming right after it. And it's not necessarily another dart, but that dart, you're like, I got it. But then the fire starts consuming what's in you that's combustible. This is why it's so important to have the breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth. What happens? Satan starts setting fire to the lies that you've believed. Satan starts setting fire to the areas in your life. He starts, let me say it to you like this. He starts inflaming them. And so the lie becomes from one part of your life into all of your life. It grows. And and self. I love how this commentator said, self-confidence is combustible. And and what this means is, if you think you can withstand the fiery darts of the evil one by yourself, then his fire is going to consume you. You wanna know why so many of us Fail in temptation is because we are still thinking, I can do this by myself. You can't do this by yourself. You can't. You need God and you need other people. So I'm going to show you in just a second. But here's what I'm saying to you. What does faith do? It helps us understand that our adversary is so much smarter than us. He will use indirection. He will use a good thing that's not necessarily sinful to get your guard down, and then bam! He comes at you with an elbow, and you are thrown back. And it starts to set fire all the things in you that are unhealthy. And so just having faith I'm not saying faith is not enough, but what I'm saying is faith gives you the grace to actually deal with what needs to be dealt with in you. Because if you don't deal with it, Satan's gonna set it on fire. This is dealing with repressed things. This is dealing with your childhood. This is dealing with your circumstances. This is dealing with things that are so uncomfortable for us to deal with. In fact, what happens a lot of times in our marriages, in our relationships, is we just push them down and dare I say compartmentalize them. And then something else happens. Some other stressful thing happens. And then out comes the monster, right? Out comes the beast that you haven't wrapped in truth. And other people are like, bro, I just cut you off in traffic. What is your deal? And then out comes all the repressed stuff that you never dealt with. And Satan, listen to me, is setting fire to it. Friends, we better wake up to the reality that Satan is crafty, and he's going to come at you through indirection. He's not going to show his hand, and you have to understand that if you're relying on yourself or you're relying on work or you're just throwing, like, let me say it to you like this. If you think that you can deal with this situation by throwing yourself into this one, you're lying to yourself. You can't become a workaholic and think that it's gonna work out. As my counselor told me, you better deal with your emotions or they will deal with you. And I've been in counseling now for 16 years. And you're like, what, my pastor goes to counseling? Yeah, because your pastor didn't come to Jesus as a blank slate. And it amazes me that people are like, I got this. Let me me give you some examples. I don't need AA. Oh, you don't? Well, you've been trying for decades without it. How's it going for you? That's a lie. I don't have a problem. All right, let's ask your spouse what they think about your problem. I don't need to go to recovery group. I don't need to join the church. What is joining? Membership is not even in the Bible. And you'd be right. The word is not there. But what is in the Bible is a bunch of local believers growing together, living out the one another's. You know what I've realized? And I've been in ministry over 20 years now. People, when they want to start sinning more will cut out the people in their life that would tell them not to do it. I have seen this happen over and over again. I'm not going to that church. I'm not only those people. Oh, it's only a matter of time for you walk away from Jesus then. Because you start cutting out all the influences that would have told you no. Why? Because you're not strong enough on your own. You need groups of people. You need groups of people. You need the body of Christ to point out your flaws. Because I don't know if you know this, but you got blind spots. you got blind spots that you can't see. I mean, my son, he's learning to drive. He's 16. He's got his permit, right? And one of the things that's the hardest to get when you're driving, especially 75 miles an hour down an interstate, is not just to check your mirror, but check your blind spot. Because you can think, oh, there's nobody there. And you just calls to pile up for the rest of us all because you couldn't see it. And so we got to learn through the grace of God, again, through the eyes of faith of saying, you know what? I know this is going to get worse for a little while, but I have faith that God said, this is how it should be done. And so I'm going to do it that way. That's how you extinguish it. Listen, my friends, all growth is from God through people. You can't do it by yourself. That's a lie. This is what marriage is intended to do. Marriage is meant, listen to me, marriage is meant to put you in conflict, not with the other person, but with yourself. Marriage is meant to put you in conflict with yourself. And if you don't understand that and see that, this is why 80% of marriages end in the first eight years because like, I'm tired of having conflict. Yeah, because the conflict with the other person is coming out of a place of unhealth in both of you. And the wrong way to do it is just to point out all their flaws all the time, and then they point out your flaws all the time, and you just go to counseling, pointing out each other's flaws, and you're like, this ain't going to work. Yeah, because stop pointing out their flaws, start pointing out your flaws, and you both own what you need to grow in, then you may have a shot. Right? And so as we do this, as we do this, faith starts operating, and we start extinguishing so there is no—listen, I got to move on. There is no growth that will come out of you continuing to lie to yourself. And the truth hurts. I know it. First time I saw a licensed professional counselor at, 20, at 25, it hurt. It hurt me. It hurt Lindsay. But you know, the only thing worse than going to counseling at 25 was waiting until 45. And so, friends, this isn't a game. This is where people are like, well, I can't afford it. You know what my response is? Cut cable. I don't know why it's always cable. because, like it's hard to cut water and power, but you can cut cable. You can cut internet. Let me go a step further, and this is going to feel like sacrilegious to you. You're like, well, we're so busy. The kids are playing five sports. You know what? Maybe your kids need to take off a semester of sports so that you can get your health together, so, so that you can quit running around, focus on everything. You mean my kids don't play sports for a semester? Yeah, they'll be okay. Yeah, they'll be okay. They're seven. <laughs> they're not going to lose their college scholarship that they're probably not going to get anyway. Yeah. <laughs> now, am I, listen, my son plays sports. But there was a time when Jackson was playing, he was in the select league for soccer. and We were gone like three nights a week and playing games. And he came to me, he's like, Dad, I, I don't want to put that much into it. That's, that's great because it's affecting my home. I'm not sitting at home and eating. I'm not sitting at home with my wife, right? I'm out here on the soccer field in the rain with you. And I'll never forget, there was parents. I mean, Jackson was in like, I don't know, fourth grade. And there were parents who were like, oh, what about college? He's eight. (laughs) And even if he does go to college by God's grace, I'm not saying that's bad, but I want to set in him that what's most important is health and life and godliness and relationships. So maybe there's some things in our lives you gotta cut out, you gotta put off so that you can put on. And I don't know what that is for you. I'm just just saying, quit playing games with yourself, thinking that more of the same will lead to change. I think it was Albert Einstein that says, you can't solve the problem with the same mind that created it. So quit telling yourself you got this because you don't. But the good news is, once you admit you don't got it, you now open up yourself to the one who does got it, which is God. Now let's continue. Even... <laughs> praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now don't miss this. He says, praying at all times. Praying at all times, not sometimes, all times. This is what I struggled with. Because again, I'm a worker. I mean, there would be circumstances people are like, have you prayed about this? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm like, uh, (laughs) not not really. Because I got a job to do, right? But I want to, I think we get praying at all times. So I want to hit this phrase in the spirit. You know, we got to do this quickly in the spirit. I had a question God, probably nine or eight or nine years ago from somebody who was honestly saying, okay, Pastor Jason, how do I pray in the spirit? And I said, well, you gotta understand, all praying is in the spirit. There's not some praying that's in the spirit and some praying that's not in the spirit. It's all in the spirit. And just a quick side note, because this is like a pastoral pet peeve. My family knows it well. When you pray, the Trinity is involved. Each has a role, but, but hear me. We pray, Jesus taught us, to the Father. We don't pray to the Son or to the Spirit. We pray to the Father, our Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and so the Father won't hear our prayers unless it comes through the Son. So we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And it shouldn't be something that we just tag on at the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Like you can start in the front. God, I'm coming to you because of Jesus. Jesus has given me access to you. So we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Now watch this, by the Spirit, or in the Spirit. And so when we're talking about praying in the Spirit, it doesn't mean we say a bunch of words that are unintelligible, which I don't have a problem with people some people call it a private prayer language. I mean, the Bible talks about groaning and that kind of stuff, and so I'm not gonna get into that. But here's what I want you to understand. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, again, it's about all praying, because I can't pray to Jesus. I mean, I can't pray to the Father in Jesus' name without the Holy Spirit. He's the one, the Bible says in Romans 8, that is taking it there, that's interceding. But here's the key. In verse 17, he said, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. One of the things that was so revolutionary to me, because I struggle with praying. I do. One of the things that was so revolutionary to me is when people taught me how to actually pray the word of God back to God. And that is what I think Paul's getting at here on a deeper level. He said, don't miss this. Sword of the spirit, word of God, pray in the spirit. Two times he mentions the spirit and sandwiched in between is the word of God. So let me give you an example. This or two weeks ago, I was in my pastoral coaching group, and we opened up our session together with the leader. He said, "Open up Psalm 13, which I'd highly recommend that you pray. It's like six or seven verses. I think it's six. And he just took the first three verses, and this is David saying, "How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? He's bringing his petitions?" So then we prayed that. He was like, "Pray to God that verse. What are some things in your life that you're saying, "How long, God?" And then in verse three, it says, "Consider me, answer me." And then he says, God, then we appeal to God, consider me, answer me. And then in verse five, he says, but I will trust in your steadfast love. And he's like, so you got to come back to the fact that even though you don't see the answer, you're trusting. So he taught me how to pray through this. And I was like, that's revolutionary. That's what I think Paul's getting at. Cause you want to know what the Holy Spirit is all about. I honestly think that the Holy Spirit, when we make things all about him, he was like, Hey, what am I about? I'm about Jesus because Jesus said in John 15:16, right? 15 and 16. He said, "The Holy Spirit will remind you of my words." Cuz Jesus is the word. And Revelation chapter 19 says when he comes back on a white horse, he's going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. So you better have the word of God through which, so you got the word of God, which is Jesus, which is the scripture, through which the spirit yields. So the Holy Spirit's all about Jesus and Jesus is all about the father. And we need to know that because it affects how we pray. So, have you ever been like me? Like you've prayed in like five minutes, you'd hit everything and you're onto the trees. You ever done that before? I remember early on, people were like, pray for 10 minutes. I was like, say what? I mean, I hit my grandfather, my dad, I hit everybody. And I'm, thank you for the trees, Lord. Thank you for the birds, right? <laughs> Until I learn how to take the scripture and, let me say it, God loves to hear his word back to him. And that's where the power is. I think that's what he's getting at. Now, one last thing in three verses here. And also, this is Paul. He says, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in change. Paul was literally in prison when he was writing this, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now listen to 21 and 22. So that you, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tycheus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Will tell you what? Come on. Is everything more than some things? Yes. Everything is everything. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Listen, church. I think this is the missing key to all of this is community. If you don't have... Now, listen to me, the right community of people. You'll give up on putting on the armor. And this is where you're like, well, I've tried that. Well, listen, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 7, we don't change by trying. We, tra- we change by training. We have to train ourselves. But if you set out on a training plan by yourself, you're going to stick with it. Nope, unless you're one of those weird people that just like, you're obsessed with that. But, but health clubs know this. This is why they can sell a lot because come work out with your hundreds of your closest friends, right? If there's no community that develops, there will be no life transformation that happens. Now, now hear me, I'm gonna circle back around to what I was saying earlier. You don't have to tell everybody everything which reminds your Facebook page of that. <laughs> but hear me, you better tell somebody everything. You don't have to tell everybody, but you better tell somebody. And that somebody that you tell, it better be a brother like T- T- Caius or Takia, whatever. T-Dog, all right? <laughs> Whenever I can't say somebody's name, I just throw dog on the end. Jeremy Free, who's here, is one of my buddies. That's not how you say his name because I can't say it right. I just call him j Dog. It better be a brother like that. Who's be- now listen, who's beloved and faithful. Listen, one of the reasons why you and I keep train wrecking our life is because we keep taking advice from people that we wouldn't trade places with. Listen, I can love you, but I'm not gonna take advice from you if I wouldn't trade places with you. It's like taking financial advice from somebody who filed bankruptcy. Listen, I'm not saying your hairdresser doesn't have wisdom, but you might need to widen the circle. You need somebody in your life who is, now how is faithfulness proven? Over time. So so Lindsay and I want to be around couples who've been married 40 years and still like each other. So you better check your circle. Are you getting advice from people who love God more than they love you, but they love you enough to tell you what God would say, even though if you don't like it, and this is what I'm talking about counseling. You need a counselor. We have a list of counselors. You need help. You need people. Because the key is you will remain self-deceived if you think it's a self-salvation project. You don't have to tell everybody everything, but you better tell somebody everything. And hopefully you can get to the point where that person's your spouse. I mean, there's nothing about me that Lindsay doesn't know. I mean, she doesn't know every trip up or everything, like every little detail, but she knows me. There's nothing about her I don't know. She has access to every part of my phone. In fact, she's the one who has the code to determine what I can, can and can't do on the phone. And you're like, you're that weak, brother? No, I'm just not that stupid anymore. Because I can't do it without her. And we go to counseling together. Sometimes I go by myself. Sometimes she goes by herself. Here's all I'm saying to you. You will lose if you don't do it how God says. And so the apostle Paul was, even he had to tell them how he was doing and tell them everything. So first you need Christ. And then second, you need his body which is the church. And you can have both. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, I know I get so excited about this stuff and talk too long, but God, I just know that this isn't games we're playing here. You told us if there are things in our life Causing us to sin to take drastic measures. And God, thank you that when we're not willing to do that, you conspire against us to force circumstances to make us do it. You don't let it work out in our own power. And so, God, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know the one who has all authority and all power to free them from. Evil from living their life for the wrong God. I pray the day you'd open up their eyes and save them so they can see. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Christ, then in the name of Jesus, you can be saved and be set free. And, and the helmet of salvation is placed on your head, which means if that is saved, you're saved. Because if the head is holy, the rest is. And Christ is the head, and He is willing to give you His righteousness if you'll just admit your sinfulness. And you can do that. You can pray with me. It goes like this Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your Son, Jesus to take the punishment for my sin. And he beat death by raising again. And thank you for opening my eyes to see this and I want to respond in faith and be saved. So I trust Christ in faith, forgive me of my sins. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but. If you just prayed to trust Christ, very simply, would you lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women walking around, gonna put a gift in your hand and when they do, you can put it down. Within those of us who've trusted Christ and you're just constantly being tripped up because you keep self-deceiving yourself, I pray that the Holy Spirit has given you some specific thing Maybe it's reaching out. We've got prayer team, people that are here in the service and can pray with you, and maybe it's owning up to something or confessing something or talking to somebody. Whatever it is, fight the urge that's, telling, that's lying to you because it's in those things as you get connected to the body of Christ in a community of people that you will actually experience life transformation. So God, would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen.